This morning we draw Matthew chapter 12 to a close. We've been in this chapter for a few weeks. Jesus has been preaching and the Pharisees have been trying to taunt him. They've been trying to trip him up. And the Pharisees asked for a sign last week and, and Jesus told them two stories that showed that they didn't need another sign. Israel has had another kingdom encounter with Jesus, the king who's coming. And last week, Jesus pointed to the story of Jonah the prophet, and also he pointed to a meeting between King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Using those two stories, he pointed that something greater than either Jonah or King Solomon or the temple had arrived. Jesus is the greater prophet, the greater priest, and the greater king. And he has arrived. And this morning we start in verse 43. Jesus says, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. And then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to Jesus, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him, and he said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, Jesus said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. You know, that's a strange story. Um, <laughs> verse 43 says that an unclean spirit goes out of a man. It passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. We, we've seen something similar to this in our kingdom encounters through the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know if you remember the story when Jesus crossed over into the country of the Gadarenes. It was in Matthew chapter 8. They had just crossed the Sea of Galilee when the storm blew up, and, and Jesus spoke to the storm, and the disciples said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And then they land in the country of the Gadarenes, and there are two there are two men who are demon-possessed, and they meet Jesus. They're coming out of the tombs, and the text says they were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And Jesus healed these two demon-possessed men and sent the demons into a herd of swine that subsequently drove themselves over a cliff into the sea. 
And rather than rejoicing at the restoration of, of these two men and their their lives have been restored, well, the city, they, they come out in force and they beg Jesus to leave. It, it's interesting that the swine are, are even present in the community because if you remember, swine are considered unclean to the Jews. The Lord said to not touch them. And in that part of the Jordan Valley, there, there, there are wild boar, but for there to be a herd of that many swine in that area raises some questions like, what was an entire city doing messing around with something that the Lord had forbade? The whole area, the whole area is unclean. The whole area is tainted with sin. Have you ever been anywhere that evil is almost is almost tangible? You can almost touch it. While there's not really a direct comparison made regarding the Gadarenes to these waterless places, there are some things of note. There's a, there's a Bible scholar and historian by the name of Charles Ellicott. And he wrote that this description in Matthew 12 reflects an idea about the parched deserts of Syria and Arabia and Egypt being haunted by demons who would invade the bodies and the souls of men. And, and there's other non-biblical writings at that time period when, when in, in this first century which reference this type of scenario. But there's nothing in, in, in canonical scripture. Whereas the demons went into the swine in chapter 8, here, here the demon has, has no pig to invade. So it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. And you know that we love movies and I, and, and I love film. And, and if I was producing a film, if I was directing a film, I would visualize a windswept, desolate, barren wilderness, neither daylight nor dark, bleak. And this spirit comes howling across the wasteland of this, of this, of this barren landscape. And, and there's nowhere for the spirit to go, so it just circles. Well, verse 44 says that the Spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came, and, and when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. It, it decides to go home to the man. And if it has that option, it, it certainly wasn't cast out by the Son of God. The unclean spirit finds its former home unoccupied. You know, the home is swept and it's it's put in order. You know, it, it gives this it gives this appearance. It's it's neat and tidy, but it's unoccupied, and there's no evidence of a current spiritual entity. Well, then in 45, we read that it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And, and they go in and they live there. I mean, really, if you're going to a party, you might as well bring a friend or, 
<laughs> bring a friend or seven. You know, they go in. And then we read that the last state of that man becomes worse than the first because there's no Holy Spirit at home. Well, then Jesus says, that is the way it will also be with this evil generation. We've seen comments to the evil generation before. And in chapter 12, verse 41-42 from last week, Jesus spoke of both the men of Nineveh, there in the story of Jonah, and the queen of the south standing up to condemn this generation on the day of judgment. And Jesus said that an evil and adulterous generation is looking for a sign. They're not only looking for a sign, they're craving for it. And this is why. (laughs) It's because there's really not a desire to repent. There's not a desire to turn from sin. There's, There's a desire to indulge in sin straight up until the time when it's time to step back from the table. And we do this because we've misunderstood the grace of God. When we take the approach of wanting to slip in the back door of God's kingdom before the final bell is rung, we're showing that we really don't care. We really don't care about repentance. We really don't want to turn from sin. We we just want fire insurance. I want to be ready, and I want you all to be ready, and because one day Jesus Jesus is returning, and Jesus is Lord, and, and Jesus is the one who deals with sin. Only He can do that. But 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 for us to ask Jesus to deal with our problem, that means that we have to acknowledge that there's even a problem. the The outside of our house may look good. <laughs> you know, to those on the outside, there's the, the portrait of all need and all tidy. But behind the portrait, Je- Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary. And as the song says, it, the reason, we're all weak and wounded sinners. We're all weary. And, but, but we don't really want to hear anybody preach about our sin. So we say, nah, I'll take care of it. I don't need any help. I'm self-sufficient. But Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and, and Jesus is the one who deals with sin. Only he can do that. So we argue, well, I want my faith my way. You know, it's that whole Burger King model. I want it my way. And you know, I'll be all right. I'll take care of it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And we might think that it's because of our rugged American individualism. But Jesus first said these words to the evil generation two millennia ago. This is nothing new. The heart of our problem the heart of our problem is the reality that we want our own way, period. 
And there are people in our lives, in our trajectories, in our sidelines to whom this is directed. We know people who have never dealt with their sin problem. They've never trusted Christ. They've never seen that they have a problem. They're depressed. They're unhappy. They're bitter. They're disappointed. But it's all someone else's fault. Be it a spouse or a parent or a a child or a, a politician. It's always someone else. And regardless of how we sweep, put in order, spit and polish, sin has to be dealt with. And if we're not willing to deal with sin, then the rest of this cleaning is really a waste of time. Christ only comes in when sin is addressed. The Spirit of God does not dwell where there has never been acknowledgement of the need of a Savior. Let me say that again. The Spirit of God does not dwell where there has never been acknowledgement of the need of a Savior. If you don't need a Savior, then you sure don't need the Spirit. By the way, good luck with that spring cleaning. So, so Jake, okay, what about all these demons traveling through this dry land looking for somewhere to dwell? Obviously, if you've if you've trusted Christ for salvation, his spirit dwells within you. And as Baptists, we believe that at the moment of salvation, that moment when we confess our sins to the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we know this by what Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes, he says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed, we're told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that we can stand firm in Christ. Verse 22 says that Jesus set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We are sealed. And and we, we read in 1 John this past winter and spring about the role of the, the Spirit in our Christian walk. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, we read that no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. We don't have to worry about spirit, party of eight, coming into our person. We've been given the helper. Holy Spirit, paraclete, comforter, helper. We have that. When we believed. And in John 8, 36, Jesus himself says, If the Son has set you free... You are free indeed. And there's even more good news. You remember when Jesus asks the question about his mother and brothers. Well, Paul writes of of the family relationship that we have in Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. 
in Romans chapter 8. Paul writes that the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, you know, because we're, we all deal with sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And it's the righteousness that only comes from Christ, what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then Paul says, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we're heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus, just like the old song says. That's the family relationship. So, so this whole possession business, it, it really doesn't apply to us then, does it? Not if we've trusted in what Christ has done for us. So, so why do we why do we need to read these verses? Here's the thing. We as people, sometimes sometimes we wander through dry deserted, barren places of life. We, we go through dry spells, don't we? We are restless and unsettled. And we can be influenced by other voices. A preacher with whom I worked for a number of years used to say this. He, he said, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer, you can have as much of God's Spirit in your life as you want. The voice of the Holy Spirit, however, can be drowned out by other voices. Other voices can lead us astray. Maybe it's those, maybe it's those persons in our line of sight to, to whom we listen that they give us counsel, but it's not based on, on things of God. With us having finished Halloween this past week, I guess it's kind of appropriate that we're looking at this text because um, <laughs> this has some ooh, spooky stuff. Earlier in the week, we were with family um, with my aunt's my aunt's funeral, and and I guess the timing is kind of appropriate, um, you know. Our family loves the holidays. Extended family loves holidays. We, we love Halloween. Uh, and our family, our extended family, we've always had a fairly harmonious relationship. Uh, great, great memories. That's That's been my experience. And, and my dad's dad, he always told, he always told the, the best ghost stories. He would tell the same ones every year at the lake during the summer. And, and you know, we, we knew what was coming. But but we but we jumped anyway. And on Halloween nights, long ago and far away, my great great grandmother, my my grandmother's grandmother, way out in the country, she she used to tuck all of her ten kids in, 
and she'd wait till things got quiet, and then and then she would take uh, this false face that she that she mixed up out of flour, and she'd cover herself with a bed sheet, and then she'd go out and she'd prowl around the old farmhouse and she'd knock on the windows. I mean, again, our family loves Halloween. My my mother read me tales of Edgar Allan Poe. And my father introduced me to, to classic actors like, like Boris Karloff and, and Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney Jr. Every month of October, I have my own film fest. And it's not the slasher stuff. That, that's just too scary for me. That weirds me out. But but I like all the old cheesy black and white ones, the classics, you know, where the, 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 the ones that you can see the bat hanging in the window on the string if you look close enough. I just love that stuff. So imagine my glee. When I found out that that some of these silent horror movies would be shown at the Jefferson Center this this October season, complete with a real orchestra. Wow, I mean, I was excited. But I found out that on that night, my sons had a football game in which they would be marching. Well, my wife Kim, she said, You've been to all the games. Just go to that silent movie viewing. It's okay. Well, I want to support the kids, uh, and, and so I went to support the kids, and this is why. It's 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 not for the dad award. Oh, for the glory that is me. No, no, that's not it. But as as much as I enjoy all this crazy stuff, my kids they represent something that these other things. They can't replicate life and family. I, I told you about my family experience. And I know that, that in this room, that, that's not everyone's experience. And I realize that. And, and I can't relate to those kinds of family situations. That the, the heartaches and the hurts and, and the disappointments that some of you have had to endure, I... That was not my experience, but but this is what I can tell you. What Jesus says this morning in verse 49 and 50, that directly applies to you. When, when in 47, someone says to Jesus, Behold, your family is standing outside seeking to speak with you. And Jesus, and he stands there and he says, Who is my mother and, and who are my brothers? And, and he points to his followers, his disciples, and he says, Behold, my mother and my brothers. He's not counting out his birth family. And, and, and Jesus is not, he's not counting out our birth families. But what he's doing, he's emphasizing the new relationship that, that could be had by all the ones who would follow him. What the family situation of the family of God can look like. It's a brand new family with, with, with Christ as the head. Life and, and family. You, you need the family of God. And the family of God needs you. Regardless of, of, of the family from whom you've sprung, regardless of fractured relationships, regardless of whatever disappointments have, have been part of your journey, we, we were not meant to wander restlessly and unsettled through 
the barren places of life. We we are meant to have a home. And, and if we're in Christ, we're co-heirs with him. We're co-heirs with him and with each other. Jesus, he came to bring life, and he came to bring it abundantly. And, and we're not meant to pass through this life alone, restless and unsettled. When we seek rest, we're able to find it. Do you remember what Jesus said about rest? He, he said, come to me, come to me, all of you. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 12, he, he said, remember, he, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And one way, one way he provides settled rest is through the family. Which is the point that he's making this morning in those last couple of verses in 49 and 50. Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven... Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Our church family, the family of faith, fellow believers, Christ followers, are the best ones to encourage and admonish us. And we, and we, we, need, both, we need both encouragement. We, we, we need admonishment. We need both. We need the pat on the back. And sometimes we need the kick in the backside. But it's all done. It's all done with the end result in mind. Becoming like Jesus and pointing others to Jesus.